Go ahead and take your Bible this morning and turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Um, we're going to spend a little bit of time in Matthew chapter 7 in the first six verses of Matthew chapter 7. And we're continuing our time in the Sermon on the Mount. Next week we'll take a hiatus for the beginning of Advent. We'll, we'll spend four weeks leading up to Christmas thinking about uh, a few different texts in Luke, uh, in Luke in the first few chapters of his gospel. Next week. But this morning, like I said, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. We're wrapping up our time in the Sermon on the Mount. I don't think we have that much left here, um, which is, is a good thing and which we're probably thankful for and in the spirit of thanksgiving. So look, at we with, uh, look with me at uh, chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. And this is a popular text. Um, this is a text that gets quoted a lot in our society, um, primarily because of verse 1. Judge not that you not be judged. Um, we like that. We like that text, um, and it feels nice to say, don't judge me. We like that idea, don't judge me. But we can all agree that Jesus isn't interested. If you've been with us for any amount of time in the Sermon on the Mount, um, you can, we can all agree that Jesus isn't interested in making us feel good. Um, in fact, he's quite the opposite. He wants us to see that everything we do is, is uncomfortable. He wants to see everything that we do in an uncomfortable light and examine our motives and the, the heart behind the things that we are doing, um, both as um, Christians and as those who claim to follow Jesus. So the things that we bury down deep in the corners of our heart, these are the things that Jesus wants to expose. That's what Jesus wants to do in his entire sermon. And the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7 in Matthew, are meant to do just that. So this phrase here in, in chapter 7, verse 1, judge not that you may be judged, that, that feels nice, but our, because it's our, of our conclusion, right? In our own sinful flesh, our conclusion is, well, uh, only God can judge me. We hear that said a lot in our society, only God can judge me. But a lot of time, the heart of that statement is a desire to do what we want so that there are no earthly repercussions. We can say that sort of as a, as a salve to cover up uh, the hurt that we feel when others do, in fact, judge us unjustly. And of course, this isn't what Jesus is talking about. As we've looked through uh, the Sermon on the Mount again, like oftentimes our initial reading of the text is we need to go a little bit deeper, a little bit farther into the words that Jesus is speaking to his disciples. So we need to approach this text with a lens of everything that's come before in the Sermon on the Mount. And if you haven't been with us in our time on the Sermon on the Mount, here's a few things to, to whet your appetite. Jesus is telling his disciples what it looks like to be a kingdom citizen. This is the primary thrust of the Sermon on the Mount. He's telling his disciples, he's telling his followers what it means to be a kingdom citizen. What does it look like to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and what the kingdom of heaven then is like? And so he just finished, if we, as we wrapped up chapter 6, he just finished telling his disciples that they need to see through the illusions of this earth, right? money, material, and then, the, and then not only that, but the control that we desire to have over our day-to-day -day needs. Jesus calls us to look through those illusions. He says to see past this mirage, to treasure him, uh, to know that the, his, our heavenly father has our day-to-day -day needs covered. Not only that, but we need to act in obedience to what he calls us to in our moment-to-moment. -moment. And in our text this morning, Jesus seems to be indicating the same thing to us, that we should maintain that same mindset, seeing through the illusion of the world and the mirage that the world throws up in front of us um, when we approach others, so in our interpersonal relationships. So let's read this text together. Look at this text with me. Jesus says to his followers, Judge not that you not be judged. 
For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be me- it will be measured to you. Or with the, let me start again. Judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye where there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck out of your brother's eye. Verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. So what are the implications of the text like this? What are the implications of these six verses in in the book of Matthew? And there's three things I see very clearly here. I I think that we need to glean from from this text. Three things. First of all, that kingdom citizens acknowledge that they often do not have a clear picture of the motives behind others' actions. Secondly, kingdom citizens are not to act hypocritically. We've seen that. Jesus has called out hypocrisy in several instances uh, throughout the Sermon on the Mount. And then finally, that kingdom citizens are to be discerning. So we're going to take each one of those in turn this morning. So first of all then, we acknowledge that we often do not have a clear picture of the motives in others. That's what drives Jesus' first statement. Judge not that you not be judged. Anytime we make assumptions about the motivations behind any action in another, we fall into a trap. And we are prone to judge in the way that Jesus says because we have a tendency, our tendency is to have a high view of ourselves. To have a high view of our, ourselves. We tend to slip into like this moralism, legalism, rule-keeping mentality and then apply that to others. So we say things like to other people, we turn and we say, can you believe what so-and-so said or what so-and-so did or how they acted in this situation? Did you hear this about that other person? And oftentimes that's coming from a high view of ourselves and a low view um, of other people. And that's what verse three is about, really. If you look at verse three, what Jesus says, he says, why do you see the speck in that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice that the log is in your, in your own? A speck in your brother's eye, well, there's a log in your own. It's an incorrect assessment. It's an incorrect assessment of your brother's sin because you've incorrectly assessed your own. That's what it boils down to. Say that you head to the hospital for surgery and you're getting prepped for surgery and they give you an anesthetic and they tell you to count backwards from 10. They say 10, 9, 8. And then the surgeon, you hear the surgeon say, hey, I'm going to do this one blindfolded. 7, 6. We're going to do this one blindfolded. And what are you thinking in that moment as you go under? This is what Jesus is talking about. This is what Jesus is talking about. You may have a log in your own eye that is obscuring your vision to the point that there is no way that you can make an accurate assessment. Judge not, that you not be judged. That's what Jesus is talking about. And we like the idea of grace, right? This is a text about grace. We like the idea of grace when it's applied to us, but very rarely do we actually apply it to other people. We hold them to an arbitrary standard. We would rather rather measure them by our standards and make sure that we're not being measured by those same ones. This idea does not mean that we don't ever make assessments or judgments. That's the pitfall of this text. We're going to talk about a couple pitfalls in a second. But this, this text does not mean that we never make judgments or assessments. In fact, it's quite the opposite. We can, we can get to verse 6 without making an assessment about another's condition. Jesus does this all the time in the New Testament, Right? 
I mean, he couldn't say this. He said, do not give dogs what is holy and do not let your, or throw your pearls before pigs. He calls them people dogs and pigs in certain instances. He goes after the religious leadership over and over again, calling them whitewashed tombs. What, what's going on in the inside is not matching what's going on, in the, on, or on the outside. There's death and decay on the inside. Well, on the outside, it looks pretty. But then also, he calls, he calls the Pharisees a brood of vipers. That they're meant to just devour and to, to pluck out, to lay standards and rules on the people without any kind of backing for those things. So coming to this realization, like he says in, in verse 6, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs. Coming to the realization of that requires some pretty clear assessment. The question is, how do we make that assessment? How do we do that? How does that come about? How do we, how do we go about making clear uh, and concerted assessments in our world? So really, there are two pitfalls to avoid. Um, first, in this instance, first, avoid the pitfall of praising God for his grace on his, in, in your life, but rarely showing grace to others. Um, this is simple to say, but this is very hard to do. This is very simple to say, but very hard to do. Avoid showing grace to, or avoid praising God for the grace he's shown to you in your life, but rarely showing grace to others. We so quickly believe that we are in the right and that others are in the wrong when, they, when usually it's not that way at all. And this leads us then to a pattern of gossip or slander or bitterness in our own hearts, which compounds the problem and grows our eye log very big. So first, avoid the pitfall of praising God for his grace in your life, but rarely showing grace to others. Secondly, then, avoid the pitfall of assuming that others are judging you. This is a big part of this text and something that clearly needs to be said in our society. Avoid the pitfall of assuming that others are judging you. Using this text and applying it to others is exactly what Jesus is telling us to avoid. There's a great irony here. You should not walk through life assuming that others are judging you because by assuming that others are judging you, you're actually judging them. And it's really nothing more than paranoia at that point. The world does this all the time. Sure, there are malicious people out there that are after you. They're going to take you down. But the reality is, for better or for worse, when most people wake up in their morning, their first thought isn't how they can ruin your life. The most of the time, they're thinking just about themselves and how they're going to get through their own day. Kingdom citizens are to consider others first, but in a way that imparts grace and does not apply ridiculous man-made standards. And then kingdom citizens are not to assume that the motives of others or worry about others judging them. So first then, first in this text, first thing we see is we acknowledge that we do not have a clear picture of motives in others. We must, as a body of Christ, acknowledge that we do not in any instance ever have a clear picture out of the gate of people's motives that drive them to a particular action. And so the second thing then that we come to is that we are not to act hypocritically because oftentimes that's what this leads to. If we make an inaccurate assessment of someone else's motives, we are often prone to hypocrisy. So receiving grace, receiving grace in our own life, as we have as those who are in Christ, we've received the grace of God in our own lives, but never administering is hypocritical. 
there's really one important element here that needs to be considered. If you feel like you're being wronged in interaction, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about abuse, I'm not talking about marginalization, and that's a different conversation, we're having a different conversation here. But if you feel like you've been wronged in an interaction or a situation, you should look inwardly and make an assessment internally before you look outwardly and make an assessment there. That's what Jesus tells his followers to do in verse 5. He says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, make an internal assessment, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your, out of your brothers. If Remember just a couple weeks ago when we looked at Matthew uh, chapter 6, verses 22 and 23, Jesus says this to his followers, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the, the darkness? A healthy eye is free of logs, specks, and all other obstructions. So if you feel like you're being wronged in an interaction or a situation, your first thought should be, am I missing something that's preventing me from seeing this interaction or situation clearly? Am I missing something that is preventing me from making a correct assessment because of what's going on inside of my own heart? So in that instance, then pray that the Spirit would reveal that thing to you. I know each and every one of us in this, in this room this morning probably has some relationship that we're engaged in right now where things are pretty tense, where things are pretty tense. Even if we're, like, if we're a pretty chill person in general, there's probably something going on in our life where we're feeling a bit of tension. This is where we need to start. We need to pray that the Spirit would reveal to us if there's anything going on in our own heart that's preventing a resolution in that interaction or that situation. And here's the rub. If you have a log in your own eye, the help you give to a brother or sister, the help that you, and I air quotes there, the help that you give to a brother or sister will always be legalism, it will always be moralism, it will always be man-made standards or rule-keeping. If you, have a, if you have a log in your own eye, that will be the case. But if you, if you make a clear assessment and if your eye is clear, the help you give to a brother or sister will be, impar- will be imparted with grace to them. So in that instance, the, assess yourself first. And if you find a log, repent, pray for forgiveness and turn from that sin. And then, only then, will you have the clarity to assist your brother or sister. So what's the pitfall here? We talked about a pitfall in that first one. What's the pitfall here? It's using the command not to judge to allow your fellow Christians to wallow in his or her own sin. We can clearly fall off the other side of the horse here. I say, well, I'm not supposed to judge. And so we don't say anything when someone's engaged in blatant, unrepentant sin. And this is important. Because if you see someone, something that's concerning, you must turn inward, examine yourself, Examine yourself and your own motives. Repent of any sin that you find there and then approach your brother and sister. It is equally as sinful to fail to approach your brother and sister about their blatant unrepentant sin as it is to address yours first. And so failing, because of that, failing to address sin in another might be failure to address sin in your own heart. One, two reasons. One, because it might be a lack of sensitivity to sin in your own life. It might represent a lack of sensitivity to sin in your own life. If you are unwilling to address the sin in your own heart, um, then you will be insensitive to the sin um, of, of another. And two, 
because it may represent an insecurity in you. And when I say insecurity, I don't mean like self-confidence insecurity, but what I mean is like things in this right now, in this temporary world are more important than things that are coming, things that are coming in the future. In a, I'm more worried about the here and now and less about eternity sort of way. We may ignore sinful behavior in others because we're worried about preserving temporary peace in a relationship. But there's no lasting peace where truth is sacrificed. And we see that clearly in the cross. This is the gospel. If Jesus had opted for temporary peace, he would not have gone to the cross. But Jesus is truth by his own admission. And he did not opt for temporary peace, but endured turmoil in the temporary to achieve lasting peace with God for us. Jesus did not let us wallow in our sin. He applied truth. He applied truth. He rocked the boat. It got him killed. Martin Luther said, peace if possible, but truth at all costs. And the truth is that we are in desperate need of having our sin dealt with. And this is a greater need than making sure everyone is comfortable. This is the reality. Later in Matthew's gospel, Jesus will say, in chapter 18, verses 15 through 17, he'll say this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax. This is a portrait. This is a portrait of church discipline. The pursuit of lasting peace through temporary difficulty. If we're going to give our definition of what church discipline is, what it is. The pursuit of, of, of lasting peace through temporary difficulty. Every time we address the sin in our own heart and address it when someone sins against us, we proclaim the gospel. Because we're saying we are not interested in something temporary, we are interested in something lasting. We walk with Jesus into temporary difficulty with our eyes fixed on the joy set before us, just like the author tells us that Jesus did in Hebrews chapter 12. And so we are not to be hypocrites but we are to examine ourselves and examine our own motives first. And then, so thirdly, then we are to be discerning. That's what this text is communicating to us. We are to be discerning, especially verse six is, 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 is indicating this to us. Where Jesus says, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Jonathan Pennington says it like this. While disciples must always be careful in evaluating others, they should not become too lax or loose, lose critical faculties when it comes to sacred concerns. Or in other words, we need to strike a balance. We as people need to strike a balance. The application of grace needs to be, cons- needs to be contained within reason. Dogs and pigs were both considered unclean by Jesus' Jewish audience. So when they heard that, they would have thought of uncleanliness. And pearls, when Jesus says, don't throw your pearls before pigs, pearls are usually, are usually refers to wisdom. And so what Jesus is saying is that we should carefully consider our next steps when someone rejects the gospel. In this case, what Jesus is talking about when he says, don't throw your pearls before pigs, he's saying the message of the kingdom of heaven is a sacred one. Don't throw it or consider your next steps carefully. In our home, we have, we have a rule. Um, it's not always adhered to perfectly because we have a four and a three and a one-year-old, but there are no books on the floor. Books need to go back on the shelf when, when they're done. Um, it's because books are important. 
Because books are special. God chose to communicate who he is to us through a book. Um, so we respect books. Four, three, one-year-olds, they walk whatever's on the floor. So we want to keep those books up off the floor and not trample them. The gospel is a pearl of great price. We should not allow others to use the gospel as a doormat. And we should not allow others to use the gospel as an assault weapon against us. The message is a special one and should be allowed, should not be allowed to be abused in any situation. So we need to be discerning because we have been given the world's greatest treasure. So this morning, in conclusion then, this morning, these things that we've considered, these three things, that we're not to incorrectly assess the motives of others, that we are not to act hypocritically, that we are to be discerning. Here's one thing to walk away with from this text. One thing. You must begin by assessing yourself before making assessments of others. You must begin by assessing self before others. If someone irritates you, if someone frustrates you, if someone just annoys you, look inside. What's at the heart of that? What's going on internally that's causing that irritation or frustration or annoyance? A desire to control that person? Oftentimes that's where it starts. Or is it a personal preference? Or maybe some completely unrelated sin that's blocking your vision, seeing um, and that you have not yet dealt with. And when you've prayerfully considered your own motives, can you then approach that person with your concern? And that self-assessment includes seeing the need for repentance, seeing an application of God's grace to you, and understanding that the message that you've received is a precious one, it's a sacred one. It's an important one. It is the most important one. It has immense value. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, and 7, he says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give, us, give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. He says that we have this treasure in jars of clay. We have something sacred contained within us. Even those who inhabit, still inhabit sinful flesh. We have this great pearl, this pearl of great price contained within us. As those who are Christ's ambassadors, we then seek to take that out. We take that word out and speak the truth of who God is and what God has done for us in Jesus Christ to everyone we come in contact with by the way that we speak and the way that we live. And so we must be prepared to love others and not to form judgments or assessments without proper self-assessment. And we must have agendaless relationships. This is important because we want to get things out of people. An agendaless relationship is a relationship where we're not just seeking to get something out of people. We are primarily consumers in our culture and we use people to get the things that we want. That's the way that the world works. But we want to, as a church, be an agendaless people, have agendaless relationships. And many of our judgments about others are made because of things like social media activity. We see someone online and we see the way that they act, we see the way that they think, and the way many of us in this room might only have a relationship on social media. You might nod and smile as you pass each other in the hallway to pick up your kids, but really, in reality, the, the most interaction that you've ever had with a person is on Facebook. 
And it's hard to make a correct assessment. It's hard to really truly know someone. It's hard to not have an agenda for that relationship if that's the basis of it. So when you get to know others, you'll certainly find that it's uncomfortable. <laughs> We've been saying this the whole time. We do all, they're all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. When we get to know others, when we interact with other people on a regular basis, it will be uncomfortable. We guarantee that. That's no reason to shy away from engaging one another in regular relationship. In fact, it's guaranteed to us that it will be uncomfortable. People are going to frustrate you, annoy you, irritate you. That's a guarantee. And let's not pretend that any relationship, that won't happen. Family members, friends, coworkers, whoever. But we're called to love regardless of uncomfortability or offense. And God, who is rich in love, he sent his son to redeem miserable sinners like us. And we are altogether offensive to him, rejecting him and disobeying him at every turn. But he opened his arms and saved us through the sacrifice of his son. And now is preparing a a gigantic feast, a banquet for us. And that's where we're headed. That's the trajectory of our lives now. Sin separated us from God, but God has closed that gap and said, now you will spend eternity with me in my presence. So in humility, what does this text teach us? This text teaches us this. In humility, we are to proclaim the uncompromised truth, both in word and the way that we live and love each other. So, Let's be slow to judge judge others, to make improper assessments. Let's be slow to assess others. Look inwardly. Be prepared to make an assessment of ourselves before we jump to any conclusions about other people. Because we have a, a kind and a patient and a forbearing God who loves us. Let's pray.